Father God, thanks for tonight, for another time to come together and contemplate your son, Jesus. Um, Open our eyes to new things about him, Father. Uh, And as we study, that it would increase our affection, our affection for him. Uh, Father, I, I think of years ago, the first time I really dug deep into the humanity of your son and how deeply it affected me and how my appreciation for his sacrifice and for him grew as a result. And I ask that the same would happen for these brothers and sisters, these friends tonight. And I ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a reminder that this works best when you ask questions. So feel free to raise a hand at any moment and ask a question. Um, I want to recommend, and I'm, you know, one of the things I love doing now and again is uh, we do this at home. I love reading to people, and at times uh, in our community groups that we've shared, I've read to people. Uh, I'm going to read you a couple of pages of this book. Um, It's a book by Patrick Henry Reardon called The Jesus We Missed, The Surprising Truth About the Humanity of Christ. And so years ago, uh, sweetie, when do you think it was that I was, and I'm calling her sweetie because she's my wife, for those who don't know. (laughs) So just just to be clear, I just realized maybe someone doesn't know. (laughs) I just call everybody sweetie. I'm just from from Kentucky. How you doing, darling? (laughs) Um, How long ago do you think it was when I preached Luke? Boy, it's probably been maybe 10 years now, huh? Goodness. Okay, so twice as long ago as I thought. And you get to Luke chapter 2, and it talks about uh, Jesus growing in wisdom and stature. We're going to see that, Luke 2, 40 and 52. Um, And when I was doing spade work for preparing for Luke and saw that text, and it just struck me in a new way, I ended up, I don't even remember how I found this book, but this was a book that really helped me. So it's an entire book of 200 and some pages on the humanity of Jesus. Uh, and I just highly, highly commend it to you. Very readable. He um, is an excellent exegete and historian, uh, treats it really well. Uh, so I'm going to read to you John 1.14. Can you say the name? Yes. Patrick Henry Reardon. Patrick Henry Reardon, The Jesus We Missed. Uh, and, and I think that's an excellent title because maybe you're like me. So 10 years ago, I'd have been 44. And I spent most of my Christian life with misunderstandings about the humanity of Jesus. Um, You know, kind of treating Jesus like a Superman who just, you know, God took on some flesh and, you know, and wasn't changed at all as a result and really misunderstood the incarnation. And so studying the humanity of Jesus helps us, like I prayed, understand and appreciate, I think, Jesus more. Um, So let me read you a couple of pages after I read this text. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Um, So one of the things that he argues here, he says the being of all created things, the being, the existence, is a becoming. Motion is a defining quality of everything God made. This is also true of human beings. Accordingly, the human race takes its rise and continues its course, not from a fixed being, but from a dynamic becoming. Human nature is not locked into a defining set of rigid conditions. On the contrary, it always bears within itself the becoming that marked its origin in creation. Man has an essentially changeable nature. He is a stream, not a lake. His existence is a process, not a fixed state. This process of humanization is what the word assumed when he was made flesh and dwelt among us. The doctrine of the incarnation does not imply an unchangeable human state. On the contrary, God's son came to change it. Instead, it implies a full human life. Irenaeus of Lyons in the second century gave voice to this truth about Jesus. Gloria de est vivens homo. The glory of God is a living 
man. The word did not assume our humanity in abstract in philosophical terms. Rather, the word became a specific human being. Jesus, the Messiah, a man and the sole mediator between God and man. That is to say, God's eternal word took unto himself not only certain human qualities, but the concrete historical circumstances of an individual human life. He made himself a subjective participant in human history, someone whose existence and experience were circumscribed by the limiting conditions of time and space and organic particularity. An adequate Christology then, Christology just is the study of the Messiah, right? The study of Jesus should affirm that the words becoming flesh refers to more than the single instant of his becoming present in the virgin's womb. He continued becoming flesh and dwelling among us in the sense that his assumed body and soul developed and grew through the complex experiences of a particular human life including the transition from pre-conscious to conscious. During the entire period, the epistle to the Hebrews calls the days of his flesh, he continued to become flesh and dwell among us. In fact, we must go further and say that through the experience of his passion and death, as it says in the scriptures in Hebrews, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. We're going to come to that later. At every moment, even as he passed into the realm of the dead and rose again, he was becoming flesh and dwelling among us. As a concrete human being, moreover, Jesus cannot be studied apart from, many, from the many human relationships that defined his history. Jesus was part of a specific society. He was a village Jew. He saw reality through the eyes of a village Jew. His neighbors were the people at hand. He knew and loved them, and they him. We have already reflected that we Christians have absolutely no historical access to Jesus except through specific human beings, his friends and followers who wrote the New Testament. They were part of a larger group who formed the actual world of Jesus of Nazareth. In the New Testament, Jesus does not appear like the garish sun, diminishing the other stars as it rises in the sky. He is rather the sun that illumines those other stars and makes them visible. Several of these people, family, disciples, beneficiaries of his blessings, will also be found in the pages of Scripture and the pages that follow in this book. They all pertained to the organic particularity of Jesus' concrete life. Living a human life, we Christians are convinced, Jesus sanctifies every human life in all its aspects, soothing every sorrow, redeeming all hopes. Perhaps no one has better expressed this truth than Gregory Nanzianzen, probably butchering that, <laughs> called the theologian, who declared about Jesus back in the fourth century, quote, therefore now also, when he had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee. He came into the coasts of Judea beyond the Jordan. He dwells well in Galilee in order that the people which sat in darkness would see a great light. He removes to Judea in order that he might persuade people to rise up from the letter and to follow the spirit. He teaches now on a mountain. Now he discourses on a plain. Now he passes over into a boat. Now he rebukes the waves. Perhaps he goes to sleep in order that he may bless sleep also. Perhaps he is tired that he may sanctify weariness as well. Perhaps he weeps that he may make tears blessed. He removes from place to place. The one is not contained in any place the timeless, the bodiless, the unbounded, the same who was and is, who was both above time and came under time and was invisible and is seen. He was in the beginning and was with God and was God. So first, the humanity of Christ in Scripture we see the humanity of Christ clearly described in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. We'll see it there 
on your handout. I did put it in your handout, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> All of a sudden I thought, did I do that? First <laughs> John 4, 2 and 3. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Messiah has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming. Even now it is already in the world. So we're going to look at Jesus' humanity tonight. This fully God person who came in the flesh in three broad categories. First, we'll look at the virgin birth, then at his weaknesses and limitations, and finally at his sinless humanity, which the second category was just, that was one of the things that blew me away when I started learning more deeply about Jesus. Is like, I didn't, I didn't think he had weaknesses or limitations really just growing up. That was never really talked about. I don't, I don't know like when you grew up in church how you heard about Jesus, but those things weren't really talked about or, or focused on even. Maybe, maybe they were said, but only in passing. And they bear study and attention. So first, the virgin birth. When we speak of the humanity of the Messiah, it is appropriate to begin with the consideration of the virgin birth of the Messiah. Scripture clearly asserts that Jesus was conceived in the womb of his mother Mary by a miraculous work of the Holy Spirit and without a human father. Isaiah 7:14. Therefore, Yahweh himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. The birth of Jesus Messiah came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, why is... Why is this virgin birth important? Number one, the virgin birth made possible the uniting of full deity and full humanity in one person. The virgin birth was the means God used to send his son into the world as a man. Jesus experienced the full span of human life, including his mother's womb. But the miraculous nature of the virgin birth testifies to the fact that he was not only a man, but the unique God, man. Number two, the virgin birth made possible Christ's true humanity without inherited sin. The virgin birth also seems to hold some significance for Jesus as the new Adam. It dramatizes the fact that unlike the rest of us who inherit a sinful and guilty nature from our first father, Adam, Jesus had no earthly father. He is a new representative of the human race of all those who would be united to him by faith. The virgin birth seems important here because it shows us that Jesus did not descend from Adam in exactly the same way in which every other human being has descended from Adam. And this helps us to understand why the legal guilt and moral corruption that belongs to all other human beings did not belong to the Messiah. This idea seems to be indicated in the statement of the angel Gabriel to Mary in Luke 1.35. Because Jesus would be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, therefore he would be called holy. The holy one to be born will be called the Son of God. All right, so that's the virgin birth. First category. Second category. Any questions on that or comments? One thing that I've never thought about before mm-hmm. uh, just what a you know to just ponder it you know maybe later tonight you'll just ponder it again we we hear these things so often i think some of the amazement can wear off Mm -hmm. and 
And so that, that's why I appreciate some of the, some recent films that are, I think, very well done, um, like The Nativity. Uh, right, The Nativity, that's the one that we watch at Christmas, The Nativity? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so just the, the representation of that reality when it, when it becomes clear, she comes back and you know, she's riding the little wagon and she comes to her little village and Joseph's waiting there after she's visited her cousin Elizabeth, right? And, and just the, the absolute scandal, of course, right? Of, of her now, she comes off the wagon and her robe opens a little and here's her big tummy. And just the difficulty of that reality and trying to explain, like, no, an angel told me this is, and Joseph trying to wrestle and bear with that and wanting to divorce her quietly and just all of that. It, it really, what a remarkable thing. And as, as you just heard, that, like the fullness of it, the full span of human life, including conception and reality in a mother's womb. I mean, just the whole, yeah, hopefully you'll just start to, <laughs> there'll be a, an increasing appreciation for Jesus as we continue to work our way through and see these things about him. Jesus endured human weaknesses and limitations. Oh, yeah, Claude. Well, I just wanted to, I'm just going back a little bit, but I wanted to comment on 1 John 4, uh, verses 2 and 3. Um, <clears throat> last time we met, Kyle Earhart pointed out that so many of the formulations that we have in the confessions our reaction to early heresies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> one of the early heresies, and this was apparently present at the time that the New Testament was being written, is docetism, and which if basically claimed that Jesus was fully divine but not human. Yeah. They denied his humanity. And it's ironic that today the world denies his divinity. They don't deny his humanity. <clears throat> that is a That's exactly right. interesting yeah. irony. Yeah. Wow. yeah, right, right. But but early on, they wanted to affirm his divinity at the expense of his humanity. Yeah, yeah. There was, well, and, and so you said docetism, docetism right? Which right, is, and, which is a precursor to Gnosticism. Exactly, and that's where I was going to go. Is uh, is it, yeah? It, you see it, some of it that evolves into Gnosticism. Exactly, just this whole I, we wanting to kind of eschew. Any, any bodily, because that's where sin resides, right. I think was the main, oh. a, a main pushing of, of or, or a main aspect of Gnosticism, right, right Claude? And, yeah. And it's quintessentially Greek, which basically said the human body was fundamentally evil, yeah. but the mind was exalted. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the intellect. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And, and to see that the virgin birth is part of a break with that, but also the taking on of flesh, and a break with the tenets of Gnosticism and then Gnosticism. Jesus endures human weaknesses and limitations. First, Jesus had a human body. The fact that Jesus had a human body, just like our human bodies, is seen in many passages of Scripture. He was born just as all human babies are born. Luke chapter two, verse seven. He grew through childhood to adulthood, just as other children grew. grow. The boy grew up and became strong, filled with wisdom, and God's grace was on him. Luke chapter 2, verse 40. Jesus became tired, just as we do. For we read in John 4, 6 that Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon in Samaria. He got tired by mint See? Jesus even needed a nap, just like we were talking about before the class started. <laughs> he became thirsty and hungry, for when he was on the cross, he said, I am thirsty, John 19, 28, which certainly at the well, he also asked for water. After he had fasted 40 days in the wilderness, we read that he was hungry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 2. No kidding, after 40 days of no food. He was at times physically weak. For during his temptation in the wilderness, when he fasted for 40 days, we, we know from today that that's the point at which a human's, human being's physical strength is almost entirely gone. 
and beyond which that time physical harm will start to occur if the fast continues. And it was at that time, we read in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, that angels came and began to serve him, apparently to care for him and provide nourishment until he regained enough strength to then come out of the wilderness and begin his ministry. When Jesus was on his way to be crucified, the soldiers forced Simon of Cyrene to carry his cross, likely because Jesus was so, Luke chapter 23, verse 26, likely because Jesus was so weak following the beating that he had received that he didn't have strength to carry it himself. The culmination of Jesus' limitations in terms of his human body is seen when he died. His human body ceased to have life and ceased, therefore, to function, just as ours does when we die. Jesus also rose from the dead in a physical human body, though it was one that was made perfect and was no longer, therefore, subject to weakness, disease, or death. He demonstrates repeatedly to his disciples that he does have a real physical body after he rises from the dead. He says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have. He's showing them, teaching them. Still has flesh and bones. He's not merely a spirit without a body. Another evidence of this is they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and eats it in their presence, right? He also takes bread in this same human body, though a resurrection body that was made perfect, Jesus also ascended into heaven. So Jesus still has, it would appear, a body. And we see in John's revelation, he sees him sitting at the right hand of the Father. He said before he left, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. The way in which Jesus ascended up to heaven was calculated to demonstrate the continuity between his existence in a physical body here on earth and his continuing existence in that body in heaven. Just a few verses after Jesus had told them, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you can see that I have, we read that he leads them out to the vicinity of Bethany and lifting up his hands blesses them. And while blessing them, he left and was carried up into heaven, taking his body with him. Similarly, we read in Acts, after he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him bodily out of their sight, Acts 1.9. All of these verses taken together seem to show that as far as Jesus' human body is concerned, it was like ours in every respect before his resurrection, and after his resurrection, it was still a human body with flesh and bones, but made perfect, the kind of body that we will have when the Messiah returns, and we are raised from the dead as well. Right, because there was, they didn't recognize him at first. So there, it right. seems like there was some yeah, slight, something was different enough that they had difficulty, but then, uh, oh, okay, now we see it's you. It's like, it makes me think about like, you know, uh, if we don't you know, imagine what condition his human body would be in at the end, you know what I mean? Uh, it would still go through losing weight and whatever we would go through being crucified having carried cross and beaten you know he would look completely different I would assume well I read I read a book that said the opposite it's not that he changed when he died their disbelief started to hit their hearts and so they were blinded and could not recognize him because they had disbelief spirit so it was hard for them to that could be it it could be a little bit of both (laughs) it could probably be a both and but yeah and just the they didn't when they didn't recall that he said he would he would be raised again or they just didn't believe that he's dead so they didn't expect to see him right right yeah and, and there could be even in those moments right it could be that kind of shock just like if I tell my family I'm going on a trip and I'm going to be gone for eight days and I return on day six. And there's kind of that initial disbelief of like, what are you, what are you, why are you, (laughs) right? Almost. So imagine how much more to your point that that could potentially like 
Correct. Right. So I, I think it's 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 a little bit. I think it's a little bit of both potentially. Yeah. It seems like there might have been some shift. Any other questions at this point or comments? Okay. So Jesus had a human body. Jesus had a human mind. It says in Luke two fifty two that Jesus increased in wisdom, which is teaching that he went through a learning process just as all other children do. He learned how to eat, how to talk, how to read, how to write, how to be obedient to his parents. This ordinary learning process was part of the genuine huma humanity of the Messiah. Right? There's this, I remember preaching on this and, 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 you, and you have to be careful, certainly, but there were things that he was learning. I, I remember getting accused of being a heretic when I preached on, on this, this text, actually right here, Luke 2.52, because you remember that the instance of Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph leave Jerusalem, and they get a day's journey out, and they start looking around for him, and is Jesus with them? No, he, he's not. And so then they make their way back to Jerusalem, and where do they find Jesus? Temple. The temple. And what's he doing? Teaching. He's teaching. And Mary asks the question, essentially, paraphrase, what are you doing? <laughs> where, where are you? Where you, you been? <laughs> your father and I, I mean, imagine, right? Like, it's parents. Yeah. You got, like, you realize wait, this is like home alone a la Jerusalem for a century. <laughs> like, we're gone. We don't have Jesus. We go back. What and The immediate is, like, once you actually see Have you ever had this with your kids? Like, you're really upset because they show up late. They're past their curfew. And, and you're like, you're worried, you're worried, you're worried. I just want to know that they're safe and okay. But then when you see them, then you want to kill them, right? <laughs> like, this is me. Like, what were you thinking? Do you have any idea what you put us through? And the language there in the Greek is like, tremendous stress and anxiety and worry that she had gone through. And just like we said, like I said on Sunday, don't you love when you get asked a question, when you ask a question and he answers with a question, right? Why are you, why are you so surprised? Wouldn't you know that I would be about my father's business? And even though everything Mary knows, having conceived him, virgin birth, all the rest of it, Mary's learning too. There's a process that Mary's going through to learn the reality that this is actually the Son of God. As a 12-year-old, seen amazed, probably walking up and going, wow, look at him. He's teaching rabbis. He, he didn't grow up in some rabbinical school. This is, he's from Backwater Nazareth. He doesn't have a rabbi that's got him under his wing. And here he is teaching. And it says that Jesus learns in this situation and he, essentially the text he submits to them, and that, that whole situation doesn't happen again. Now, Jesus, we know from Hebrews that Jesus didn't sin. So he didn't sin here, but he had to learn something about what he had done to his parents. He had caused them stress and anxiety by the decision that he had made. And the text clearly teaches, and he didn't do that again. He didn't put them through that again. He learned something that he didn't know. That was something that like blew up my world because, right, like I, I didn't fully understand in so much of my growing up years, like we've talked about already, the Philippians 2 passage of laying aside a certain glory and a certain access, if you will. I don't think Jesus always knew, right? He had to learn how to talk. He had to learn how to read. He had to learn, you don't do this to your mom and dad. It freaks mom and dad out. They get really, really scared. So he increased in wisdom. It just wasn't matrix-like. Boom. <laughs> access to divine knowledge and everything I need is right there. We see that Jesus had a human mind like ours when he speaks of the day on which he will return to earth. Concerning that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father knows. Mark 13.32 Jesus had a human soul and human emotions. 
we see several indications that Jesus had a human soul or spirit. Just before his crucifixion, Jesus said, now my soul is troubled, John 12, 27. John writes just a little later, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit, John 13, 21. In both verses, the word troubled represents the Greek term tarasso, a word that is used when people are anxious or suddenly very surprised by danger and you know, you, you need a Tums because of it. His soul is troubled. His spirit is troubled. Moreover, before Jesus' crucifixion, as he realized the suffering he would face, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with grief. Even to death. Would you stay here and keep watch with me? So great was the sorrow that Jesus felt that it seemed as though if it were to become any stronger, it would take his very life. My soul is overwhelmed with grief, even to death. I feel like I could die. So Jesus has a full range of human emotions. He marveled at the faith of the centurion. Matthew 8.10. He wept with sorrow at the death of Lazarus. John 11.35. He prayed with a heart full of emotion. For we read in Hebrews 5.7-9. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. After he was perfected, and he was declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? He learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected. It feels like dangerous language, doesn't it? It does to me at least. But you mean there's something that, because it implies, like when we think of learning, we think of like a certain kind of moral lack or insufficiency or want. And then when we think about Jesus with those kinds of phrases, those things don't, they can't coexist. I I can't think of Jesus that way. I can't, perfected, in in other words, he was imperfect. Doesn't mean completed, you know. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's where the English fails us. Is There's a number of references to perfection in the English translation mm-hmm. that I think are not exactly the way we would tend to reinterpret Right. Them. Complete, whole um, would be probably better renderings. Basically evolving into what he is intended to become. Yeah. And, and just, but... I think what's marvelous is so infrequently, I think for a lot of us in our experience, we're not taught even that reality though, right? Like this idea of evolving and what he was to become. Again, that still can feel like dangerous language for a lot of people because they think it implies some kind of imperfection almost in Jesus. N.T. Wright talks about it this way. I think this is a really helpful illustration. A man I know inherited a business from his father. It sounds rather a grand sort of thing. The son comes in fresh from his excellent schooling, to sit in a splendid office next to that of his father and to take over in due course, ruling the company from above, enjoying the lifestyle of business lunches, golf outings, foreign trips, all the rest. It actually wasn't a bit like that. For a start, it happened at a time of great austerity when there wasn't any spare cash for even the occasional lavish lunch, let alone trips and outings. What was more, the father made sure the son learned the business from the ground up. He had to work in the workshops along with hardened mechanics. He had to visit the suppliers to see where the raw materials came from and find out for himself how hard it was to get them at the right price. He had to go out as a salesman into the suspicious world that wasn't convinced it wanted the product in the first place. He had to share the work of the financial department as they spent day after day crunching the complicated numbers that told the story of success or failure. Only when he had thoroughly understood every aspect of how the business worked was he even given an office of his own. And that was only the beginning. 
Now you would have to learn both how to lead and how to manage a workforce at a time of growing industrial unrest, as well as to represent the business in the wider world of local and national life and politics. He had to learn what it meant to be the son of his father. Nature put him in the frame for this, but a good deal of nurture was needed as well. This goes some way towards explaining one of the oddest phrases in the Bible, that although Jesus was God's son, he learned the nature of obedience through what he suffered. One might have thought, the writer seems to be saying, that being God's son would simply be a matter of sharing God's rule of the world, living in glory and bliss. Not so. The God who is the father of Jesus is the God who made the world in the first place and remains deeply committed to his creation, even though it became wayward and corrupt. If Jesus is to be his son, he must learn what this creation business is about, what it will take to rescue it from the mess it has got itself into. He must get to know its depths as well as its heights. He must learn what it means to be his father's obedient son. And that will mean suffering. Not because God is a sadist who simply wants to see his dear son having a rough time of it, but because the world which God made and loves is a dark and wicked place. And the son must suffer its sorrow and pain in order to rescue it. That's what verse 9 means when it says that Jesus was made complete and perfect. It doesn't mean that he was imperfect before, uh, before in the sense of being sinful, but that he needed to attain the full stature of sonship through experiencing the pain and grief, grief of the father himself over his world gone wrong. He became truly and fully what in his nature he already was. The way that Reardon says this. This is really fascinating. Just to give you another little taste of this book, so I hope that you buy it. Um, in in the answer to his to his parents, right in, in Luke chapter two, I, I must I must be about the things of my father. So the Gospel of Luke indicates that there was an understanding that increased in Jesus. It did not happen all at once because human understanding always takes time. So Jesus had to take personal possession of, who, of his identity in, in one sense. As events unfolded in his life, and particularly when he endured the contradiction of sinners against himself, Hebrews 12, 3, Jesus grasped ever more explicitly the meaning of God's word about himself. So as he's living his life, all of these texts that he had grown up hearing in synagogue and in the temple, he started to see as being applied to himself in his life. When Jesus read of, Isaiah's, of Isaac's burden in Genesis, the Pascal lamb in Exodus, the sin offering in Leviticus, David's opprobrium in Samuel, the pierced side in Zechariah, the suffering servant in Isaiah, the persecuted just man in the book of Psalms, he found himself text by text, to be in all of them. They were components of who he knew he was. That's amazing. Amazing. So that's what it means to learn, to learn by obedience, to learn as he grew, to learn as he read God's word about himself. Another point, Jesus was understood by others by others to be a human being. Matthew 13, 53 to 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters. Aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown <laughs> and is in his own household. 
where everybody knows you have feet of clay. <laughs> and he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Jesus was, part C, fully human and also sinless. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's goodness. Just spend some time contemplating that, friends. Amen. To be sin. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I think it's one of the most important passages in my Christian life, following Jesus. Right? Because it just, it's just this constant reminder that there isn't anything that I haven't gone through that he hasn't gone through. It's so easy to be dismissive of someone who you feel like they don't really know your experience, right? Like if, if someone, if you went to someone who, how do we say it, grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth, you know, and, and, and you've had suffering in your life, like you, you knew what it was like. Like when I was growing up, I knew what it was like to have one pair of tough skin jeans from JCPenney. Like that was the one pair of jeans that I had. And a few t-shirts that were on a row. And, you know, I would wear them three or four days in a row. Here's how often laundry was done, like single mom, and if some if someone, you know, let's say one of Bill Gates' kids, would say, "Oh, I know what it was like," you'd be like, no, uh, "No, you don't. You have no idea what it was like." But with Jesus, we do have. We have a God who knows what it was like, in in every way, He sympathizes with all of our, that's the things that we've gone through. He, he knows what it is to be tired. He knows what it is to be hungry. He knows what it is to be thirsty. Every way, yet without sin. And actually, C.S. Lewis says this, even in the matter of temptation, C.S. Lewis says, Jesus is the only one who truly knows what temptation is because he's the only one who never succumbed to it. So he's the only one who pressed against it to the very end, right? Which is like how Hebrews goes on to say, you do not know what it's like to fight against sin to the point of shedding blood. Right. Jesus did. He died fighting sin, right? Isn't that what he did in Gethsemane? Yeah. Tempted to not go to the cross. Blood. Father, if there's any way yeah. you can take this from me, any way, yet not my will, but your will be done. I'll go to the cross. He fought temptation to the death. Literally. So he's the only one who really, really knows the full force, weight, brunt of temptation. The scriptures make absolutely crystal clear that Jesus the Messiah lived a sinless life. So application. Application. Worship Jesus Messiah. Athanasius in 373 wrote this. Such and so many are the Savior's achievements that follow from his incarnation that to try to number them is like gazing at the open sea and trying to count the waves. For indeed, everything about it is marvelous. And wherever a man turns his gaze, he sees the Godhead of the word and is smitten with awe. So why was his full humanity necessary? Why? why? Why was this full humanity necessary? So that we might, here's a, a few answers, so that we might worship Jesus Messiah, the second Adam. Jesus was our representative and obeyed for us where Adam had failed and disobeyed. It was necessary so that we might worship Jesus Messiah, 
our substitutionary sacrifice. If Jesus had not been a man, he could not have died in our place and paid the penalty that was due to us so that we could worship Jesus Messiah as the mediator between God and men. Because we were alienated from God by sin, we needed someone to come between God and ourselves and bring us back to him. We needed a mediator who could represent us to God and who could represent God to us. There is only one person who has ever perfectly fulfilled that requirement, right? Moses was a mediator between God and men. There were many prophets who were mediators between God and men, but he's the only one who perfectly fulfilled it. And alive. What's that? And alive. Yeah, right. Well, one question about that is yeah. um, something that I thought about, like what, what comes to mind right now is at some point, when would he, where in the scripture does it talk about Jesus like recognizing and hearing from his father? Like Moses talked directly to the father. And um, is there references in scripture? Because that's something that I've never really put together in my mind until just now. Are you asking specific, like beyond, like say for example at his, um, right. at so, his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay. Um, I think at, um, isn't it at the, uh, when he raises Lazarus and he's yeah. speaking to God and there's yeah. the, the, it just, so a booming, that, isn't it a boom? Why am I forgetting this? Isn't it just like a, kind of a thundering response? That it, 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 That's a, a slightly different passage. But that it's also in John. It's also in John, but it's when the Greeks come and ask uh, to see Jesus. Uh, and, and, um, the crowd hears it thundering. That's what it, yes, thank you. That's what I was trying to recall. And, and, but it's when the Greeks come, they, the Greeks come to Philip, and Philip comes to Jesus, and that leads into that whole passage. Yeah, and, and this, this happened so that, so that they, could, not because I needed this necessarily, I'm paraphrasing, but, yeah, it was for your sake. That, I'm saying this out loud so that they can hear that. Right, right, yeah, that's the Lazarus event. So it's interesting yeah. to think to me, so basically um, his obedience was like, he knew at some point that the scripture was about him, that they were, they were referring to, the stories were referring to who he was, and he became aware of this, and uh, that's before he heard anything probably from the father, or, I, I, I'm sure, do you understand that? So it's almost like a, um, a knowing like he knew, obviously, like you said, that he was who the scriptures were saying he was. I guess what I'm trying to say is, um, like Moses heard directly from God, so it's like he, um, yeah, it's well, it's like uh, well, well, just many times, you know what I mean. He appeared in the bush burning, and you know what I mean. And right, right. So, well, and I, I don't think the scriptures are explicit on. on like what are what were some of those communications? Right. Obviously, at age twelve, he had a self. He he already had a self awareness <coughs> of who he was and right. who he was becoming right. because of his response yeah. to his his mother and and his earthly father. Excuse me. And he had always said you can go pray and, we, and talk to God. And, and right. right, all those times that he's going out into the wilderness and having communion with with the father. So there's there's clearly all kinds of. Community, that's absolutely, right. that's happening. Just, we just don't have access to what uh, God in particular <laughs> was telling him, brother. <laughs> no, that's, why are you apologizing? That's, uh, this is exactly what we're supposed to do, is be wondering about those things. Right. And those are the things that we can just contemplate. And I think you're right. Like we can go into the Old Testament and see the character and the ways in which God communicated with his prophets, with yeah. his kings, yeah. with his priests, and Jesus as the fulfillment of all of those offices, I think certainly those are the kinds of communications and and more, right? right? Like I think maybe it was later in his ministry, and I'm just speculating here as well. Maybe it was later when he actually entered into his ministry and we see all of these moments where he's going and praying that then deeper communion, more of an awareness more of this, right? Because I think that had to be tapping back into 
that perfect fellowship that was happening prior to the incarnation where he had always they had always been together father son and spirit yeah so yeah yeah We have so, we have so many questions, don't we? Well, because it blows my mind that you know Jesus is God and He was before all things, yeah. before the world was, and He knew everything that's going to happen because God knows everything. You know how He's going to create everything, and so He like knew the scriptures were there and knew those about Him, but at the same time, He's born as a human and learning all of that. But with God, He already knew all that, so it's kind of like. Right, right. Which is yeah. that? See, it's it, and it's that kind of thinking right there, that really what was a another transformative event for me in my relationship with Jesus, and and like this bit that we're talking about right now that that increases our worship, that as Athanasius says, like like awe and a sweetness increases as we see the aspects of what these when you play those kinds of things out and have those kinds of ponderings and wonderings and realize all these things that he took on, right? In submission to the will of the Father, because that's what he says. I I, I did this in submission to you and in the great high priestly prayer, there's just, there's all of, we we have those bits where there's a submission there to the will of the Father, which which is just, yeah, it's remarkable and it increases, I think at least has the possibility to to increase worship. superpower to not fail right. you know what i mean yeah and that that makes you like you say want to worship well which is another quick you know and you're, you're bringing up a, a very a, a grand theological question is would it have been possible for jesus to be disobedient is that a possibility right okay next <laughs> worship jesus <laughs> okay, he was incarnated so that we might worship jesus messiah Speaking of perfection, our perfect example. Jesus had to become a man like us in order to live as our example and pattern in life. Disciples are Messiah followers. Our goal is to be like the Messiah all our days up to the point of death and to die with unfailing obedience to God, with strong trust in him and with love and forgiveness to others, which is not meant to be a a crushing thing. Again, there's a sense in which I think we have to be very careful, like looking at Jesus. Are are we supposed like I just want to be like Jesus? There's a way to say that that's crushing because you can't be, mm-hmm. right? right? You you can't be perfect and you can't be sinless. Mm-hmm. So that's not what I think you should mean when you say that. Um, and it and it is to to do all we can by God's grace and His power help of the Holy Spirit to live in obedience no no like with the reality of knowing this this is the tension right like knowing that I'm going to sin like I wake up every morning not wanting to sin knowing I'm going to sin today just holding that intention so that I don't have a nervous breakdown not thinking that I'm going to be able to get to the end of this day and have and, and live sinless but it does encourage us to strive for godliness. oh absolutely Absolutely, brother. And that requires effort. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Think of all the times of particular who I spend a lot of time thinking about these days too. Paul. I mean, so often him talking about striving and agonizing um, and saying, I'm the chief of sinners. (laughs) He was incarnated so that we could worship Jesus Messiah, our sympathetic high priest. talked about this a bit if Jesus had not been a man he would not have been able to know by experience what we go through in our temptations and struggles but because he has lived as a man he sympathizes more fully with us in our experiences 
We worship Jesus Messiah, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus had to be raised as a man in order to be the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1.18. The pattern for the bodies that we will later have. We now have a physical body like Adam's, but we will have one like the Messiah. 1 Corinthians 15.49. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. <laughs> Hallelujah. We do, we, Jesus was incarnated so that we would worship him, the God-man, forever. Jesus did not temporarily become man. Instead, his divine nature was permanently united to his human nature. And he lives forever, not just as the eternal son of God, but also as Jesus, the man who was born of Mary and as the Messiah and Savior of his people. And he will always be fully God, fully man, one person forever. Wayne Grunem writes in his Systematic Theology, the incarnation is by far the most amazing miracle of the entire Bible. Far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing, and you might disagree with Wayne here, but far more amazing than the resurrection and more amazing even than the creation of the universe. Here's why. The fact that the infinite, omnipotent, eternal son of God could become man and join himself to a human nature forever so that infinite God became one person with finite man will remain for eternity the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. I think he makes a compelling argument. Yeah. Final questions or comments? Yes, Kwan. I guess I think it's Psalm 8 where it says Adonis created man a little lower than the angels. Mm. Um, and then Hebrews picks that up. Um, you have a name far greater than theirs? Yeah. 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 That's good. Good connection. Mm. Psalm 8, Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1. Right off the beginning. Yeah. yeah. That's good, brother. Any well, other? I just a few years back and it's a wonderful thing to go through it's probably, if you ever go through a domestic Christian rehabilitation um, they walk you through why he became human because if you, people don't think that he um, knows everything that we walk through and all the everything that could happen to you as a human being his flesh did. Um, when you read what the Romans did in the crucifixion, right. it's, if you can even read it or stomach it. Mm -hmm. it so there's nothing that we could go through that is, he, he did it, or the people he surrounded himself with suffered like we suffered. Yeah. So he felt that with the right. dying and everything. So, right. you know, his humanity is everything he walked a mile in our shoes. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or more. <laughs> All right. So you can't tell so an unbeliever, you know, well, God doesn't understand me. He doesn't love me. Oh, mm -hmm. I can point so many things. But yeah, he right. does. There's nothing that you are suffering that Christ did not suffer. Yeah. Well, with that, let me pray for us. Jesus, we look forward to the day when, when we can run up to you and give you a big hug and to be hugged in return and to feel it because you have a body. To thank you for all of this and more. And I think Wayne is so right. It, it's the most profound miracle and the most profound mystery in all the universe. What you did, what you have done, and, and what you are doing. Jesus, I, I, I struggle for words to even talk about this, that you are this unchangeable God who yet 
it seems changed in this way that you took on flesh and that you did that you were forever changed because you so loved us and you so loved your father that you were willing to do it so so grateful we say thank you Jesus it has opened up so much it's opened up everything for us as your brothers and your sisters help us to continue to contemplate these things to never grow tired or weary of thinking about them more and seeing new angles and discovering new things and new beauties whether it's books like written by Patrick or, or others or by continuing to plumb the depths of your word. By your spirit, continue to open our eyes that we might see wonderful things about you, to love you more, and as Claude said, to, to seek to live like you, to press into holiness and godliness and, and so represent you and, and to bear your image well in this world. We ask these things in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.